Hello and welcome to Gifts of the Weird. Uh, I'm John, your host, and joining me on this episode is Chris, aka Goodyear Godposts. Chris lives in rural south of England and has been inspired by gods, myths, and ancient cultures for most of his life. Up to the past 10 years, he has been passionately carving godposts and giving something very ancient and sacred a place in the modern world. We will talk about what a god post is, because some people may not know, but uh, here we go. You can find Chris on Facebook and Instagram as Gunyir Godposts, and you can support him via Patreon for as little as a pound per month. And just look for Gunyir, that's G-U-N-G-I, or correction, G-U-N-G-N-I-R, and it should come up very easily. Chris, welcome to the podcast. Thanks very much for having me, John. Very happy to be here talking to you. Yeah, me too. I've been following you for a number of years now. I don't remember when I first found you, maybe 2018 or something like that. But uh, yeah, it's been a while. You have indeed. It's been a lot of fun. So first of all, how are you inspired by the gods growing up? Yeah, um, I think when I was around seven or eight years old, my mum bought me a book on Greek mythology and I was just just totally enraptured by it uh by the you know the the stories the characters the the imagery it just really gripped and fired my imagination as a kid i was always artistic and creative and i would draw and all of a sudden the, you know the, these things just really inspired um my own imagery from that age onwards really and it hasn't stopped to my thirst for um mythology and history uh grew from that point really and i started to learn about the you know the not only the Greeks, but the Romans, the Norse, the Celts, and, and other cultures. Um, and it's a very um, rich and diverse subject field that is um, truly sort of fascinating and fulfilling, really, to immerse yourself in. It is. Did you find that the Celtic gods of England, where you grew up, used this as an opportunity to kind of say, hey, hello, we're here too? Or how did that, did that kind of influence you in any way? Um, I think as I, as I got into my, my teenage years and spent more time on my own, I was more drawn to sort of natural spaces. Um, and, um, there's just something that I felt in nature, like an affinity and, and I felt more at peace there than anywhere else. Um, and I started to relate things in nature, um, you know, just the characteristics of, of trees, you know, the changing of the seasons and just how that makes the place feel, um, to, the myths and gods particularly the norse and 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 the celts that are from this part of the world where I, where i come from um and to see analogies and and metaphors and really at that point i think start to understand um the the, the true significance of, of mythology the, you know these aren't just stories these were analogies for the cycles of nature that people lived by and the stories they would tell would remind them it's the time to harvest and all this kind of thing you know in accordance with the with the cycles of, of the sun um i think that was at the point probably at which i realized that i was for want of a better word pagan you know um I think um, pre pre Christian, it didn't really have a name because it didn't need one. It was just what people all over the world did. You know, it was it was a very organic um, spiritual relationship with with the landscape. I guess. Yeah, I know. I can relate to identifying or being influenced early by Greek gods. I mean, growing me growing up in the seventies and eighties, um, Greek was the Greek mythology was very well known and popular and historically uh, researched. Um, far uh, and publicized far more than Germanic or Norse or Celtic. And so uh, not like today where, I mean, thanks to Marvel and, <laughs> um, 
you know, the Germanic, uh, not necessarily mythology, but a connection to it, you know, is very popularized and it leads a lot of people to investigating more. So totally understand that. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think modern media um, has had a part to play in the, in the popularity um, of particularly um, Norse mythology with TV shows like the Vikings. Personally, not a fan of it, um, but I know it brought a lot of people to um, to discover um, the, the culture and the history uh, and, and the gods. And, you know, that, and that in itself can't can't be a, a bad thing. I don't think. Um, but like you were saying, growing up in the 70s and 80s, this was before the days of the internet and before the days when everyone had a computer in their home. So if you wanted to find stuff out, you had to work pretty pretty hard to, to find it, you know? Yeah, most of the times it was going down narrow aisles and libraries and yeah. finding the old books, you know, uh, leather-bound, flaking, you know, <laughs> dust and whatnot. Exactly, uh, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, it was uh, definitely something of interest. Or... Um, for me, um, a big part of it that got my interest going was uh, comic books. I used to read Wonder Woman and uh, Avengers and Thor and all that. So um, right. the Greek was far more prevalent uh, back then. So uh, Of course. Plus, as you said, uh, the Greek stories and tales are so dynamic and vibrant. They're just amazingly wonderful as well. So, they, of course, they're going to capture a kid's interest. Yeah, yeah. And, and this is what they were written and designed for you know that you know long before the advent of television or cinema or anything like that you know people would sit around a fire and be told these amazing stories with these larger than life characters and it, you know it did it, it enraptured people and, and captured their imaginations yeah that's pretty cool very interesting and and there's a lot of stories throughout all of our pantheons and cultures uh like that as well so it's really great to that nowadays a lot of those stories are becoming more available and accessible uh, in other forms. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I think the parallels are something that I've always found really fascinating. Almost within almost every culture within the world, there are sky fathers and earth mothers and gods of love and war and death and kind of demigod, um, almost superhero-like like characters that they just seem universal. Um which I think is really fascinating from one side of the globe to the other. All the, these characters kind of pervade through through their mythology and their culture. I find that very interesting as well. Uh, probably about 10 years ago, I was doing a paper or writing something, uh, thinking about that very topic. And I was just uh, kind of just thinking, wow, this is really cool. All the way from the Philippine Islands and the Pacific Ocean to uh, cultures in South America to cultures in uh, North America and Africa and think there was this like similar oh it was I was talk I was looking up some stuff about like a day of the dead type um, celebration on honoring of ancestors and uh -huh. all over the world there was some similar events that had popped up amongst those cultures and sometimes a lot of it was kind of at a similar time frame which I also found very intriguing and interesting. It is. It's fascinating. So that well, that's great, and I'm sure a lot of people identify with a very similar way of connecting to gods and mythologies and ancient cultures. So uh, thanks for sharing that with us. So you, you mentioned that you, um, your carving is pretty much a relatively recent in your life uh, experience. Ten, ten years or so. What? Yeah. What yeah. got you interested in carving and uh, and using that as an expression of your artistic? Yeah. It's. It, 
it's a funny story, really. Um, I, I guess as I kind of came up my teen, teenage years into early adulthood, um, I, I drifted away from art and creativity for a little while until I was walking down the street and I saw a guy painting in a shop window and I stopped and I watched him and he kind of beckoned me inside and we got chatting and he said, have you ever drawn painted? And I said, yeah, I used to, I don't anymore. And he said, you've got to start, you must start again. You promise me you'll go home and you'll start again. And I did. Um, and I went straight back into those, those themes, um, you know, gods and monsters and all this kind of stuff. And, um, and I never really stopped. And I found that my figures were, my style was developing into this blocky, chiseled kind of form that just made me think, I wonder what that would look like in 3D as a sculpture. Maybe I'll try it one day. And one day I was clearing out my shed, chucking out all the junk, and there was just this piece of pine lying on the floor that was about the right size um, for a god post. And I saw it and I thought, I'm, I'm going to give it a give it a try. Um, I had a knife and a very basic chisel and I just went to work on this little piece of pine and created my very first and still my most treasured piece, um, a little Thor. Um, and he turned out pretty good. Um, as, as I got more and more familiar with the process, I started to push myself a little bit more in terms of what I could accomplish with curved lines, etc. Um, and I posted the finished piece up on social media for a few of my friends to see and they said wow that's really cool would you mind doing me one and I did them one um and they showed it to their friends and their friends got in touch with me and said hi I'm a friend of so and so you did this for them could you do me one <laughs> and it's just kind of gone from there um and 10 years later I've done hundreds absolutely hundreds and they're all over the world and um I just I absolutely love it it's just it just brings me so much peace and fulfillment and um you just get so much from it you've you learn so much about the gods about the stories which are in turn reflections of human nature so you learn about yourself as well and i never firstly i never imagined that i would be carving god posts on the scale that i have done um and secondly i never imagined that it would give me as much as as it has um i absolutely love it you know, that's one of the beautiful things about your work that I think shows through is that you do love it. You're not just doing this to churn out pieces for production, you know, um, and each one is lovingly carved and cared about as you go through it. So uh, and that shows because, well, we're very lucky to when we follow you either on Patreon and support you that way or follow you on Instagram and Facebook that you often will post the process of a piece uh and so we get to see it sometimes from the drawing concept uh -huh. uh, to it being on the when you put it on the block and then as you're carving it out and stuff so that's really cool yeah um yeah and, and you're right um i do um throw everything i've got into every single piece because because that is my my process um if i'm carving a character i will retell their story in my own mind um and contemplate what that story means, what it symbolizes, what it represents, um, not only universally, but what it means to me and how it relates to my own life, my own experiences, and the people I have met and interacted with. Um, and all of that will have some part in the forming of that piece. So whilst there are similarities in every piece, no two are ever quite the same. Um, and 
they take a, a while to do because it's more than just the physical carving like i say it's you know it's not a production line it's not just churning one out after another like a like a, a factory i wouldn't ever want it to be like that and i don't think it ever could be like that. yeah um well while we're talking about your process how, how does that kind of work um you talk about how you tell the story of the god or goddess with the piece i mean how do you select elements of the story because when you look at thor uh, there's so much going on with that or freya or even odin sometimes do you pull different types of them maybe it's based on the commission request or how you're feeling or why does that kind of work yeah a variety of things so, so somebody might come with a particular request they want a particular thing featured it never has happened yet but somebody might say you know i, I want thor dressed up as freya in the, in the wedding gown and that kind of, i would love to do that actually. that like would be great yeah <laughs> yeah um so, so that would then shape the process but a lot of it is probably how i'm feeling at the time and what i've been through myself recently and just how that god and that story relates to to my own experience i don't know how much sense that makes i mean there are always going to be commonalities i'm always going to carve thor with a hammer so you know it's thor odin is always going to have one eye so you know it's odin you know um but the, the energy, the emotions that I'm feeling will shape the final creation. And, and we'll go into it, essentially, because you're, you're putting your energy into a piece of timber, and, and there it stays. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's um, really interesting to see a lot of the pieces that you have out, and you have a lot of pieces that are fairly popular um, and that you work on a lot, such as Odin and Thor and Freya. When you're working on so for instance, say it's like, okay, it's another Odin piece. Is it like, how do you keep that fresh? And how do you keep that uh, that cool, that energy going while you're doing that on a piece that you've carved a similar it's, so often? Yeah, it's, it's a really good question. And the answer is um, you, you can have too much of one thing. Um, I think I had like four Lokis in a row once and I'd done two and it's just like, I'm all Loki'd out. I can't, <laughs> you know, I can't do another one right now. So people just have to understand. And I would just tell people that I've just done two of the same character. I'm going to do something different and I'll come straight back to yours probably in two or three weeks. Um, and people, I've got to say, um, my, my patrons are all pretty good with that. They understand the process and that it takes time and that whilst I won't hang about and dawdle, it will happen when the time is right and not before. Yeah. Yeah, no, I can understand that because uh, it is a lot of energy that you're putting into it, and and you got to keep that variety, that interest as a creative person. You, you absolutely have, and, and immersing yourself in too much of the same energy. And the same goes with Odin. He's a vast and heavy character. I couldn't sit and carve Odin four times one after another. Um, it would probably drive me insane, to be honest. You know, I, I love him. He's he's amazing. Um, but probably one is enough, and then I've got to do something else. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, is there, uh, do you have any gods or goddesses that you haven't worked with or that you've worked with very little uh, in a carving that you think you might like to work on, aside from Thor in a bridal gown? <laughs> um, <clears throat> I'm trying to think of any that. There are probably some lesser known ones that haven't come my way. Every now and then somebody will come up with a character. I'm like, oh, who's that? And I have to go and have a look. And, oh, okay, I see what they're about. And um, they're, they're probably a, a spin-off from, from another god, uh, another sort of aspect of that god. Um, 
Bowder doesn't come up very often at all. Um, and it's fascinating, really, because you, when you think about him, he's the most beloved of gods. He was the most popular among the gods. But I think I've carved him about three times in 10 years, you know. Um, and, and I wonder why that is. And I think, particularly with the Norse stuff, people like the, the warrior kind of vibe, the fierce energy that, that goes with that. And that's not Bowder's vibe, certainly not way i portray him i think the last bowder i did came out almost kind of jesus like um because that's the kind of character that i think he is you know and again you can see some of the similarities in those stories you know the death and the, and the rising again um yeah and and it wasn't intentional but when i looked at him afterwards i kind of thought you kind of look like a western Jesus, you because know, I've no idea that the real Jesus uh, looks anything like he's portrayed in most of our churches over here. But that's a whole different subject. <clears throat> yeah. Well, how's um, working with these pieces so often and their energies? Uh, do you find that they've uh, opened up a connection that you didn't have before, or has it kind of brought you in closer than before when you started carving? Um, yeah, both of the. It's it's certainly deepened my connection and understanding of probably all the gods you always um find something new every time like i say every time i sit down with one i'm i'm relating it to my own recent experiences and it's like ah okay that's how you relate to that and that's how, you know how i can take something from you in that in that situation loki in particular is one that when i started out on the path um i was quite superstitious about him i treated him a bit like the bad guy kind of like the christian devil like a lot of people do but as time has gone by um and as i've matured um i found that he's a much more complex and tragic character than that um much maligned and misunderstood a bit of a social misfit um in my um professional life outside of carving i've done some work um with offenders and rehabilitation and i often reflect on some of the people i met there when i'm working with with loki and carving him and it's just some of their stories and how they got to be where they are in the world and i certainly have a lot more understanding and compassion for him and for people now than perhaps i once did uh, a lot of changes have come with understanding that relationship with loki and overcoming that like you said superstition about him and his his place in the pantheons yeah yeah yeah, yeah absolutely scardy was another one i remember my first um scardy commission i didn't really know very much about her other than that she was the winter um but when i started to look into her story and how i was going to portray her um i found that this really admirable character she was wronged by the gods her father was killed by the gods and totally unafraid she demanded justice she was hoodwinked again by the gods but she she faced the gods head on uh, and demanded justice um, her marriage never worked out and she ended up alone in the mountains um, eking out her own existence and i just thought what what a symbol of um of modern womanhood really um fiercely independent unafraid standing up for her rights what she's entitled to um and in the harshest environments finding a way to survive and i thought you know I, she's one of my favorites you know uh, so she went from being this very sort of unknown character to to one that i really kind of hold quite dear 
it's it's great when you do look into the the stories a little bit deeper than just some of the short ones that we kind of are the keywords that I think we sometimes see them attributed to the gods. You know, and when you look into some of these backstories and and those things, you you find out a whole lot more, and you find a depth that is really something that you can connect into. And and I we see Scotty a little bit more often on your feeds. Um, either it's the same piece, or you're getting some more work for her. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, that that first one was I was really proud of her, and uh, interestingly. Um, the moment I finished her and set her down to photograph, the sky just erupted in this hailstorm. Um, it's one of the most magical moments ever. Um, just out of nowhere, this hailstorm just threw itself down uh, on the table around her and, and then was, was gone again. Um, and I, I kind of feel like I really did her justice with that piece. And then that led to other people seeing it, admiring it and wanting one. So whether that was because other people already had that relationship with Scardi or they saw that and thought oh my god wow she's beautiful look she represents all these things uh and it opened her up to them I I, I, I don't know but either way um it was a really fulfilling uh, experience and um I love it every time she comes my way I've, I've finished another Scardi just a couple of days ago actually it was great the pieces you have made that you've shown are really amazing and they're great uh I was kind of tempted to think about, do I want a Scotty one as well? Because <laughs> it's always time, John. Always time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, there yeah, there's time for others to get theirs as well. And uh, yeah, that's great. Um now you have a particular affinity with uh Ran and Ajir um uh, especially when you find driftwood along the beach or things like that. Yeah. I and I I don't know what it is. Uh I just love I think some of us are just kind of predisposed to it. I just love the sea. Um, everything about being near the sea, the sound, the smell, the colours. Um, I can just instantly feel my pulse rate slows and I'm just I'm just in a different place when I, I'm near the sea. Uh, Iran in particular, um, I always see the, the sea as quite a, a feminine um, entity. She's beautiful she can be very calming and very soothing um but she can be furious merciless and utterly ruthless at the same time um and, and again um just things that I, I greatly um respect and admire so yeah i always love to to carve her and um i always take her a gift when i visit the sea i'll always throw a, a coin um just a, as a, a bit of a um a tribute to old tradition when um, sailors would um, throw gold into the sea uh, to try and buy safe passage. Um, I think historically we've just relied on seafaring so much for our livelihoods and prosperity. Um, and there's always been, and there still is amongst seafarers, this, this superstition about the sea and just how much at its mercy you really are. And that's quite awe-inspiring. Yeah, having been a sailor uh, in my younger days with the military, uh, it is quite quite a a respect is given to the sea. Yeah, it can be smooth as glass one minute, and then you know a few hours later, you know you're hanging on to your life as your ship is tossed back and forth. (laughs) Exactly, and it's beautiful out at the sea, especially way out when I was in the Indian Ocean. We had. one night there was this one part where when the waves kind of c- 
crested and creaked. They just sparkled and glowed. And yeah. This is uh-huh. absolutely phenomenal. And when you cannot see land and you just realize how vast it is and how small you are. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. And at night, you, you can't even see when you go out because there's no uh, ambient light. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. When we're on the military, all of our out, outer lights are doused because we don't want people to see us. So you go out there. The only way you can see like anything aside from the stars is if you put your hand up and then it just kind of blocks the stars coming through. It was just, it was just amazing at how dark it was and how, yeah, but yet how beautiful it was too and serene. So yeah, that was great. So one of the things uh, and continue on about uh, the process and uh, <clears throat> getting to know the, the different uh, characters that you work with. Now, one, I love how your process is not um, finite, meaning you're open to being inspired or changed. For instance, recently when you had was working on a, a goddess piece and it wasn't working out and you put it on the fire bin and then it kind of reached out to you and said, hey, I have other plans. Um, what about, Was that the one you na- named the Red Queen? Uh, so the Red Queen was a, was a daughter of that one. I'll never let that one go. Yeah, that was that was quite a story. Um, she was. I hadn't really given her an identity. I just I had this piece of timber in my hand, and I thought there's a goddess in there, and I'm going to carve her. And the proportions they just weren't quite right. There was just something about I'd given her a crown, and it just sat a bit too high, and something about it wasn't quite right. So I I can't do anything with this. I hadn't carved any facial details, so I'm not even going to bother with that. I'm just going to put it on the fire, and it can go. Um, and I put her on my pile of firewood, and a couple of hours later, I sat down to my lunch. I hadn't lit the fire at that point, um, and I was just looking um, at her, or she was kind of calling for my attention and I just saw her sat there on that stack of firewood and it just made me think of all the women in history who were burned as witches in that moment and it was quite a horrific moment um just a real feeling of empathy and I can feel myself welling up talking about it now um where she was almost screaming and begging not to be burned and I just snatched her out of there straight away and set her on my goddess altar and she has stayed there ever since as as a a symbol of that really and um yeah from there um other ideas were born i've i've now produced this series of faceless goddess pieces to you know to to represent um the divinity within womanhood i think i you know as you know going back to a personal level i was raised almost entirely by women in my childhood um so I, you know, not wanting to make myself sound in any way special, but I do have a great deal of respect and, and admiration for the role and the evolving role of, of women in, in our world. Um, and that piece was kind of a tribute to, to all of womanhood, really. And by not giving her a face, she was universal. She was any woman and every woman all at once. Um, so that, that the pieces I then created from that idea um, I've then um, allowed to go um, to patrons and to other parts of the world, um, and uh, I'll, I'll do more of them because they're, you know, they're really emotive pieces to do, um, and I really like doing them. You know? <laughs> when you first posted that, I thought that it was beautiful and what a wonderful story and connection that it brought up, and yeah, very meaningful indeed. 
Indeed. Yeah, it, it really was. And like I said, even talking about it now, um, I can just feel myself um, sort of welling up a bit. There's, a, there's definitely a, a, a strong emotional connection to, to what I do. Well, one of the things we'll shift over a little bit. One of the things that this has led to, um, carving and all of this, and, and people interested and a growing interest in carving, has led to some local workshops that you've led in the last um, year or so. Um, yeah. yeah. How has that been when you've got a small group of folks here? And are some of them the type that they've never picked up a carving tool and a block of wood? <laughs> and uh, Or are they a little bit more advanced? Or how, how does that work out for you? Pretty much, yes. Uh, pretty much that. Um, you don't need any experience at all. Um, so I opened up uh, workshops one-to-one um, with my Patreon supporters, knowing full well that it was going to be a, a limited um, reach just because of the geography of where I am in the world and, and how many people um, could reach me. I think I did five um, in the end. Uh, the very first one I did was for a couple of neighbours of mine who had their wood wedding anniversary and as a gift to each other, asked if they could come and carve a piece with me. And I thought, that's a great way to trial this this workshop idea i've got and they came over um we spent a whole day um carving and coloring these two pieces they had a fantastic time uh they loved it i loved it it was really great to see two complete novices with a little bit of tu- uh, tuition um develop their own style and their own approach to, to what they were going to do um so that's how it started and then yeah i've had uh, several of my patrons uh, around to the house carving in the garden and it's been wonderful it's been uh fantastic to meet people face to face who support and value what i do um I'm, I'm ever grateful for that so to be able to engage with some of those people um face to face in the same space has been fantastic but again to see um the variety of different approaches that people um took uh, was was really cool and it made me think about my own processes, I've, I've been doing this for so long um, that although the the mental approach is a very sort of considered and intuitive one, the physical stuff almost just happens automatically and I don't even realise that I'm doing it. But then seeing other people do things and the good things they do and the things that perhaps they could do slightly better than I correct them on, I think, ah, that's why I do that and that's why I use my thumb to guide that bit. Um, all those little things that you just you know take for granted, you suddenly realise, actually, there's... There's quite a lot to what I do here. I just don't think about it. Yeah, that's great. So for anyone who might be listening who thinks uh, won't be able to get a workshop with you uh, anytime soon until uh, you can do your North America tour or wherever. <laughs> it's, it's in the pipeline. Um, in, in, the next, in the next five years, I plan to retire from work and be doing this comfortably full-time with no stress and no pressure uh, and one of the things I would love to do is is to travel with it and to go and see people um that would I, I, that'd be fantastic yeah would it would really be fantastic but until then uh, if someone says you know I think I want to pick up a piece of wood and do something uh for a god or a goddess as a tribute or um a gift or something like that what kind of exper- uh, advice might you give them for just starting out besides be super, super careful around sharp, pointy objects. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that first of all. Always cut away from yourself, not towards yourself, uh, is is a golden rule. Um, I would say um, draw your design first. Get an idea of what you want to create. Remember, it's a piece of wood. 
don't try and be too fancy with it. Think of one or two things that that character embodies that you want to include in there. Um, mine are always really bold, and they'll have one or two details, no more. If you if you go over detail, I think it just gets too busy, and everything gets a little bit lost. It's also incredibly difficult to do. Um, <clears throat> and just have have fun with it, really. Um, perhaps you know, try a few different techniques out on a piece of timber first. You know, try straight lines, wavy lines, try circles. Um, get your technique right before you commit yourself to your final piece that you're going to create. But ultimately, have fun. You know, <laughs> that's that's certainly what I did when I first my pick picked my first piece up there was no intention that it was going to go the way that it has it was just something for me to do for myself to have fun and here, here we are now you know yeah right and and possibly not be too critical of themselves right off the bat yeah absolutely a- absolutely that um it's it's a journey it's a process i look back at some of my earlier pieces and i can see how i've developed and evolved into my own style um yeah it, you know don't I think every piece has a value um, because it's it's a step on your journey. And I and I do uh, want to mention that I think there is a, a a value to doing something similar on your own. I mean, I love getting a piece from you for like I have my Nihilenia piece, which I absolutely treasure. It's in my foyer of my house, so it's the first thing that people see when they come in. Uh, but it's also I did a I had a very big thing I was working on and uh, I was just really concerned about it getting through and uh, and it was a, about a, a process of a journey of a sort and uh, so I reached out to Nihalenia and said hey if you help me get this resolved in this manner that I want it to be resolved um, I will make a god post and I think you kind of inspired me because I think it was about that time that I had probably found you and I like, I'll make a God post and not like you, I wasn't going to carve it, but I was dabbling with wood burning stuff. I was making runes and yeah, that, like I'll wood burn a piece of wood for you. And so the, the time came, the thing that I was working on did end in the way that it should go. And I was like, wow, I have this commitment to make now. And so I took some time and like you start said, drew it out, got the elements I wanted and then commenced to working on the, the project. And it was very interesting for me to actually think about doing it as a gift because I could have just bought something and done it, given it. But no, it was something about that particular process at the time. There's nothing wrong with buying and, and offering gifts that way as well because that's that's an exchange. But I really enjoyed the process of working with that piece. Completely. I think something that, that holds your energy and comes from your soul has got such a personal value and really forms a, a bond with the God and with the gesture, gesture that you're trying to make. We'll be back with the podcast after this short message. Since I began Gifts with the Weird podcast in 2016, I've used Zencaster for my recording needs. Now it's super easy to record a podcast with Zencaster. Log in using your browser and start recording a high-quality podcast right away. Record studio-quality sound and up to 4K video with your guests. Feel a sense of zen, knowing Zencaster's multi-layered backups ensure you always have your recordings in the highest quality, even if the connection is unstable. Go to Zencaster.com forward slash pricing and use my gift code, Gifts of the Weird, and you'll get a 30% off for your first month of any Zencaster paid plan. I want you to have the same easy experience 
that I do for all my podcasting and content needs. It's time to share your story. And now back to the episode. So one of the other things that I've noticed you've been dabbling in lately, which has been kind of fun, is mead. Tell us about your your journey and <laughs> learning about meads and drinking and tasting and experiencing them. Yeah, so I've always liked um, mead. I, th- I think it's it's the earliest his, uh, alcoholic drink known to to man. And there's something about that that people have been drinking it for thousands of years that um, that gives it a certain appeal. Through my carving, etc., I got to know a few people who are mead makers. A very good friend of mine makes particularly um, good mead and keeps me in fairly good supply. <laughs> <I'm> sure. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's a real adventure because the it is so different. There are meads that are bone dry that are somewhere very sweet. Some people like to flavour it with fruit it's really taking off now uh, and people are starting to create craft meads and session meads almost in like beer type cans you know you know sort of marketed like like craft beers um, which i think is is great because um, i've always believed that you know our ancestors were progressive and they embraced new methods and new ways of doing things and um, if this keeps mead alive and brings it to a new audience and puts it back into bars and things like that what a brilliant thing um and, and i've tried some really good ones some really good sort of five percent sparkling meads and stuff have really um really impressed me yeah so it's it's quite an adventure and it's something that i always look forward to trying a, a new bottle i agree with you and, and i do enjoy when you share stuff uh, on your socials with us because it's like i can't get it because it's all the way in the Usually yeah, alcohol but... and international um, shipment doesn't really work with like laws and taxes and, and all those kind of things. But uh, I, I was approached um, last year by Afon Mel, who are a Welsh mead producer uh, and one that I've always held in particularly high regard in terms of what they do. Um, and asked if I would be one of their mediators, i.e. A, a reviewer of their meads, which um, I was really kind of flattered with, to be honest, that, that they would consider approaching me for something like that uh, and I, I pretty much bit their arm off at the opportunity uh, <laughs> so every few months Afa Mel will send me a bottle of mead from their range and ask me to taste it and write a few words about it and I do so with great enthusiasm <laughs> the last one I had from them was their Grimnir from their mead hall range which is their, their very sort of viking themed range and it is the best mead I've ever tasted <laughs> frankly wow. You know, I'm not just saying that they give it to me for free. Um, I've, I've gone straight back and bought another bottle. Um, really rich, complex. And um, I wrote a review on it. And within that review, I kind of reflected on the fact that that particular mead is named after a god. And much like carving the gods, I think they really captured some of his character within it, the depth, the richness and the complexity. So I could really kind of respect that craft. Yeah, uh, mead is uh, mead making in the United States where I'm based is also taking off like crazy. And what a time to be alive. Yeah, yeah, it is, isn't it? (laughs) So what does Chris like to do outside of carving, uh, either um, on your own or with your family? Um, I love the gym. Uh, The gym keeps me sane. Um, I've always been into sports and um, martial arts and stuff like that in my younger life um, I played your version of football American football until my mid-30s 
uh, when my body decided that was no longer going to be viable. Um, I, I dabbled a bit in martial arts and um, now, yeah, it's um, it's kind of the kids sports now. I've got two children, one um, seven and one who's just about to turn 10 uh, and their sports kind of take priority now. So there's a lot of um, supporting my kids and driving them around to their various sporting events. And um, yeah, just getting myself in the gym. Um, I love it. I love the, the focus. I love the feeling it gives me, just the, the channeling of, of energy. It, it, you know, it, it, it does a lot for me. And aside from that, um, family stuff, you know, we live in England. We're surrounded by so much fantastic history here. And we just love to visit castles and ancient sites and battlefields where all these, you know, tremendously significant things to our history have happened and we're very blessed to have so much of it so close well yeah my few trips to england have always been phenomenal i've really enjoyed them all the time it's um yeah it, uh, i think there's a tendency to to take it for granted um but uh, we, yeah we do we live in a, a wonderful country really yeah i did get to visit one time i think it was the oldest pub in england i think it was built in 10 10 something Oh, wow. In some little off the beaten path. I like to go off the beaten path and visit mostly outside of the main tourism. Yeah, yeah, so, so this was just this, at least that's what they said it was. Now, I don't know if it's true, but this is how they build it. And it was really just really cool to go into that and feel that ancient presence. Yeah. Uh, something. There's, there's, there's just so much of that here. The stone walls, the cobbled streets and, and things, you know, uh, just so much history and it always fascinates me when you visit these places and just to think about the the people that have been there before the people have walked the same steps you're walking the things that have taken place there yeah fascinating yeah it is well chris um as we're getting ready to wrap up is there anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners and uh and then the burning question on their minds is how do they get on the list for a god post or a pendant <laughs> um Firstly, I would like to share my heartfelt thanks for having me, John. Um, it's been great. I've really enjoyed talking to you. I know we've chatted a fair bit uh, via message and stuff, but to actually chat like this has been really, really good fun. So thank you. It has. It has. Uh, in terms of getting on my commission list, it just if you sign up to Patreon, just drop me a message. As soon as you sign up, just say, hi, just signed up. I would like this. And that's it. It's as simple as that. You will be on my list. And... Um, I can give you an idea of how long it will be. Um, and as I'm getting close to uh, commencing your piece, I will let you know. Sounds great. And I will have links on how to get to Facebook, Instagram, and Patreon in the show notes uh, for sure. But it's just as easy as typing in <coughs> Gunyir God Posts, and you usually show up right away. So uh, I don't even think you have to get through the entire name to uh, for them to find you in some way or another. Well, thanks for joining us. Uh, this no. has been lovely, and I've really enjoyed uh, having this chat with you. Me too. Cheers. Take care. Thank you for listening. Please have a look at the show notes for links to uh, support our guest and, well, notes. Podcasts available from Podbean, Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and other podcast download providers. Feedback and reviews are greatly appreciated. Please follow me on Instagram at, at weirdgifts one and on Facebook at, at giftsoftheweird. Email me at giftsoftheweird at gmail.com. That's weird with a Y. Thanks and have a great day.